to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints together together with all those who in every place. Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that there be no division among you. But that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For just as the body is one and has many members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. For the the body body does not not consist of one member, but of many. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. Good morning, Transit. Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Please read along with me as I read aloud. And I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to, then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. This is the Word of God. Uh, my name is Nick. Welcome to the transit. If this is your first time, we're super excited that you're, you're here with us. Uh, as you can tell from that scripture reading, what we do from up front here is we go through books of the Bible. We've been in 1 Corinthians, this, uh, this letter that Paul, this guy, Apostle Paul, he planted a church 2,000 years ago, roughly, in the city of Corinth, and he's writing a letter uh, to them. And where we're at today is in chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, turn there, turn your Bibles on. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11 is where we're going to be at camping out today. And here's the deal. We are nearing the end of 1 Corinthians. We're nearing the end of this letter. And, and with that said, Paul has talked about a, a myriad of issues, right? He's talked about divisions, rivalries in the church. He's, talked, he's defended his apostleship to them. He's talked about singleness, marriage, idolatry, adultery, communion, the gifts of the Spirit, all of these things. And then all of a sudden in chapter 15, we kind of see Paul crank the e-brake here. Stop. Stop, Corinthians. He says, Corinthians, Corinthians, eye contact, listen to me, listen. All those things I have said and talked about for the last 15 chapters, they are important. Do not forget them. But listen, they are not of first importance. And there will never be of first importance in your life. There's one thing, Corinthians, there's one thing, church, that is to be at the front and center of everything we are, everything we think and everything we do. And that one word for the Apostle Paul was the gospel, the gospel. He says, I preached and I delivered what I received, this gospel of first importance. And so it's important for us to, to know, well, what does that one word mean? There's a lot packed into that one word. And the Greek word for gospel that Paul uses here is euangelion. It's where we get the word evangelism. And um, what that word essentially was, was, was news or a proclamation or announcement of good news. And the root part of euangelion was, and sorry, we're nerding out here, so just bear with me, and then I'll, I'll illustrate so we'll make, this will make sense. The root word in euangelion is angelos, which is where we get the word angel or messenger, okay? So packed into this word euangelion is this idea that there was a messenger coming to proclaim, to proclaim good news. And this was the historical context of this word, word in the Greco-Roman world. So uh, when the Greeks, when someone would come, come and invade from the north, the Greeks would send out their, their mighty men of war north to, to go face those armies, right? And, and listen, all the townspeople are left uh, frightened and afraid because they don't know. There's no social media updates, right? 
There's no live feed of the battle to figure out, hey, who's winning, who's losing, whatever. They just have to wait days, weeks, months to figure out, is it going to be our family, our brothers, and our, and our husbands, uh, and our friends coming home from the battle victorious? Are we going to be free? Or, or is it going to be our enemies coming back? And are we going to be slaves and, and dead? Who's coming back? And so um, what would happen, what the Greeks would do, they would send an angelos from the battlefield after the battle, a messenger. And that messenger would carry a euangelion, a gospel. And he would run, the, where we get the word marathon is from the Battle of Marathon, where the legend goes that 25 miles after they won the battle, this dude is, this dude's running, right? Dun, 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 running from the battlefield, 25 miles, gets to the town, and says something to the effect of, we've triumphed, and then flattens and dies on the spot, right? Kind of like how I would finish a marathon if I, if I ran it today. Um, just finish and go see Jesus. Um, but the reason I share that is this. It's important to remember this, is that Christianity is first and foremost not philosophical truisms. It's not moral platitudes. It's not mere sentimentalism. It is about the proclamation of a historical event that ushers in victory for humanity against our greatest enemies. That's the gospel. An event in history, an event in history that ushers in a complete change of destiny for us. For us, that's the good news. That's a heralding of the news. And so that's what the Apostle Paul says earlier on in the, in the letter uh, to the Corinthians, earlier on. He says, Corinthians, I didn't come to you as a Greco-Roman philosopher or sophist who, who had these, these uh, eloquent words of, of wisdom. No, I came, the Paul says literally, I came with fear and trembling, with shortness of breath. Like he just ran a marathon because he had a gospel to deliver. He received some news. And he said, woe to me if I do not deliver this news to you, Corinthians. And that message was Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, and in those words right there, what that means is, listen, a battle has been fought for you. A battle has been won for you. No more bondage, no more slavery, no more death, no more fears. Your foes have been de uh, defeated because Jesus Christ has triumphed on your behalf. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news. It's an announcement of victory, an announcement of Jesus coming back with the heads of our enemies and saying, we've triumphed. We've triumphed. Sin no longer gets the final say in your life. Death no longer gets the final say in your life. The devil no longer gets the final say in your life. Jesus Christ does because he rose from the grave. It's victory. He went to war for us. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's why this is so important because if we lose this gospel, that's what Paul's telling us in this letter, saying, if we lose this church, we lose everything. We lose everything because this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is the Christian worldview, is the gospel. It's an event in history that changes our destiny forever. It is not just, it's just not moral platitudes and, and, and sentimentalism and, and seven highly effective steps of how to better your marriage. That's all great. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God descending, taking on our flesh, wearing our jersey, going to war on our behalf and coming out victorious on our behalf so that we can have forgiveness of sins and be reconciled to God our Father. Every other worldview on the planet is, is trying to ascend and claw and fight our way up to God. The story of the gospel is God's relentless pursuit of us and him fighting and clawing and coming down to us because he loves you. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's, and that's, that's the best news in the world. It's the best news in the world. So let me pray and we'll, we'll dive in here. Father, we, uh, we come before you grateful, Lord. We come before you that your gospel screams Screams of your, your radical, unthinkable, loving pursuit of us. You are not, your gospel teaches us that you're not a God who's indifferent to us. You're not a God who's apathetic towards us. You're not a God who wants to keep his distance from us. You're a God in love who wants to get all up in our space in the best way possible. You're a God who loves us with a sacrificial love. And so we thank you for that. We come before you grateful today. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you come now in power and that, um, that this preaching of your gospel would not be in vain. God, because you are too good to ignore. This news is too great to not, to, 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 to not be responded to. It's the best news in the world, and, and, and Holy Spirit, come and, and get the plow, and, and, and man, just wreck open hardened hearts right now who are, who are hardened to you, God. Soften hearts, Holy Spirit, so they can receive your love, Jesus. Make the deaf hear, make the blind see this morning, to see you, God, for how you really are, 
That's the good news of the gospel is we see you, Jesus, and in Jesus we see the fullness of God and his love and his posture towards us. We see you as you really are towards us. So I pray against anything, anything that would distract us and distort this good news this morning and that you give us eyes to see and a heart to receive this good news and have our lives forever changed. So Holy Spirit, would you, would you come? Thank you for your presence and would you come now and do the work, apply the work of redemption to the hearts of those listening today. And Jesus, would you be magnified? Jesus, would your name be glorified? Would you increase and would I decrease and be forgotten? And I pray this in your name, amen. All right, verses one through three. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. And so what immediately sticks out here, let's stop here, is, is this sense of priority of the gospel, right? Paul is saying, listen, you've received this gospel. You stand in this gospel. You are saved by this gospel. You are being saved by this gospel. You hold fast. You cling to this gospel. It is of first importance. I could preach a sermon on every single one of those, right? We could be here for eight weeks, okay? But we have other verses to talk about. I can't do that. Um, but this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, this is the only game in town. This is it. There is no other name. There is no other name by which man is saved. That this, that's why this is of first importance. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, Jesus. And Acts 4, uh, uh, 4.12 says this, and there is salvation in nobody else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name, no other person and work that gets you to the throne room of God, fully forgiven, cleansed, adopted, redeemed, and reconciled. And that's the beautiful privilege we have in this gospel. There's all the benefits we get that flow from the sacrificial death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, so then the proper response looks like this. You know, like we, we, and I'll talk about this in my conclusion, but, but, but Paul even says here, we can receive this news in vain. You can receive the news of victory in vain. And Paul says, the proper response to this gospel is, man, we, we cling to it. We hold fast to it. We never, I mean, we, we sink our claws into it, right? We never let go of this good news of salvation wrought out by Jesus Christ's sacrificial death for us. Why? Why? Because we cling to what's most precious to us, right? We cling to that which is most valuable to us. You guys tracking with me? Like in D.C. today, there's people who are crying about the Nats losing a game, right? Like you guys watch, listen to the radio, and people on the radio, they're, they're having tears. They're, church, do, do we know this gospel? Do we cling to it? Do we understand the value that this is? This can never be secondary in our lives because the gospel isn't a thing. It's a person. It's Jesus. And so we cling to him because he is first priority, right? Because, because, he's, because of what he's done, right? What he's done, we'll get, we'll get that to a little bit. But what Paul is after here, what the gospel is after, what God is after is after your heart. That's what he's after. He's not just after your head knowledge and, and, and these theological doctrines. Those are great. We're, we're supposed to be people of the book and understanding and, and having a thirst to study God's word. But God is after your heart and Paul is after their heart. And he's saying, listen, don't lose this affection, this joy, this love for Jesus. God's after your heart. God's after your love and your joy in him. He wants your heart. That's what he wants. He wants what's best for you. He, that's why he sent his son to die for you, because he wants you to come home to him where he has a feast waiting for you. So verse 3, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. Watch this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So the way I'm going to frame my talk from here on out is that uh, there's four reminders that I think Paul gives the Corinthians. And the first one is this, is Corinthians, somebody went to battle for you. That's what Christ died for our sins mean, is that this someone, Jesus Christ, went to battle for you. So, so who, who? Why does he say Christ here, not Jesus? Uh, Christ isn't the last name of Jesus. What Christ means is that New Testament word for that Old Testament promise of this coming Messiah, right? That's the, Christ is the New Testament word from Messiah, which means the anointed one, the anointed one. And so throughout the Old Testament, by the way, the Old Testament, all of it points to the coming of this Jesus, and throughout the Old Testament scriptures, there's this prophetic proclamation that, listen, Israel, listen, Israel, there's someone coming from the line of David, and he will go to war for you. And he will free you from the yoke of your oppressors and, and, and will reign forever. There's a divine warrior king, king who is coming, and he's going to fight for you. And what we see 
in Luke 4, 18 through 19, is Jesus returns to his hometown, to Nazareth. He goes straight to the synagogue, and uh, he goes and starts teaching there, and he pulls out the scroll, Isaiah 61, a messianic promise of this coming Messiah, this Davidic king warrior who would fight on behalf of God's people. He pulls out the scroll, and he reads this from Isaiah 61 in the presence of uh, all, all, all the fellow Israelites in his hometown. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Did you guys catch that? Anointed me. Anointing Christ, the Messiah. He anointed me to proclaim, listen, to proclaim a gospel, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim a gospel, good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus says that, and then, and then literally, I'm, I'm not even exaggerating here, he rolls up the scroll, he hands it to the attendant, and he says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing of it. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I'm the Davidic king warrior who's coming to fight on behalf of God's people. And you want to know the response of his hometown? They, they went nuts. They tried to throw him off of a cliff. He says, hey, I know your dad. I knew you when you were in diapers. This is blasphemy. You're not the Messiah. And in fact, since it's blasphemy, we have to now kill you. And so they went and took him to try to, try to kill him. Literally, read it, Luke 4. So the second reminder is not just about that Jesus fought for us, but what we learn with, with Christ died for our sins, what we learn there is, is, is Jesus fought our battle for us. It's a second reminder. Corinthians, look, Jesus fought your battle for you. That's what it means when Jesus Christ died for our sins. Our sins. That was our battle that we're responsible for, our battle that we started, our battle that we were hopeless to win. And what we see in Genesis 1 through 2, you probably know how this story's story goes, but what we see in Genesis 1 is that God exists. And this God is creator. He is Lord, and he speaks order into the chaos. But then he creates humans, humanity, and creates this garden, and there's shalom, there's peace. And we see in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God's original intent for creation is him holding hands with Adam and Eve, walking and talking and abiding with them in the garden. Perfect harmony, perfect peace. The Hebrews would call that shalom. And this is what uh, uh, theologian Cornelius Plantinga says. He says, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere uh, peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Listen, shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Right? Shalom is the way things ought to be. That's God's original intent for us. And listen, that's intrinsically hardwired into the heart of every human being is we know that, that sin and death and disease and calamity, that this world is not the way it ought to be. And so what we're all, the posture of our hearts is we're always trying to find that peace with God. That's the relentless pursuit. Every human being, no matter, no matter what they're doing, is they're trying to find and get back to that shalom in Genesis 1 and 2. And so, and so clearly, Genesis 1 and 2 isn't the world we live in today. Something went wrong. Something happened. And what Scripture teaches us is that, yes, Genesis 1 and 2 happened, but then Genesis 3 came around and we see the fall of man where sin entered the world. Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed and attempted to dethrone and dishonor God and that ushered in this curse of sin and death and disease and destruction upon the face of the earth. And I think it's important for us when we ask the question, well, what is sin? Uh, I have to do some, some, some repentance here this morning, church. Is I've used this illustration before. I've, I, you, you've heard it said from my mouth before that sin is missing the mark. It's, a, it's an archery term, right? Like if you're aiming at perfection and you loose your arrow and you kind of miss it, that would be a sin. You're missing the bullseye, right? But yes, that's the Greco-Roman context. But, but in between the pages of this book, you want to know the, the context of sin? You're not, we're not, the Bible teaches we're not, we're not here aiming at, aiming at just trying to be a perfect individual human being. We take this arrow and we say, I want God off my back. I want to call the shots in my life. I'm going to loose my arrow at you, and why I want you dead. It's outright rebellion is what Scripture teaches us. That's an accurate view of sin. Because every time we deliberately turn our back on our Creator with the life He's given us, want to put Him to death, that's what, that's what sin is. And, and by, the way, by the way, when we do that and we turn our backs on God, 
and want to dethrone him from his throne uh, uh, over the universe, we are, we are rubbing shoulders with the demonic. Because Satan has the same exact end goal. He does not want God to be Lord. And when you and I refuse to bend our knee and confess Jesus as Lord, you and I are, are, are rubbing shoulders with the kingdom of darkness, and we have the same chief end as, as the enemy does. That's the truth of, of the gospel is that we're not just, sin is not mere error. Sin is us refusing to do what we are supposed to do with the life we've been given, to live in fellowship and union with God. We turn our backs on God. We say, I want you dead. I, don't, I refuse to bend my knee. I will not obey you. And, and, and the word that you've given me here, but also the word you placed in my heart, my thinking, my mindset, you've told me to love humanity. I hate humanity, right? That's sin. Outright rebellion, cosmic treason. You want to know the punishment for treason in the U.S. today still? It's the death penalty, right? And I think oftentimes, man, we just don't know who God is. God is a God of, of ferocious love. And because he's a God of love, he's also a God of justice, of perfect justice, because he's the judge of the world. He's the only one who is actually authorized to judge us. And what, and, and what our sin does, man, Cornelius Plantinga, which, by the way, like, if you name your kid Cornelius Plantinga, he is destined to be like a rock-solid theologian, right? Like, my, my next son, I was going to name him Nicholas, but after this, I'm like, I'm going to name him Cornelius Plantinga Mudrazo. And I'll call him CP for short. But um, CP says this. He says, sin is a vandalism of shalom. It's a vandalism of shalom. It disrupts, it destroys, it distorts the harmony, the peace we have with God. Now we're alienated. Now we're separated from God. And now, we're, now there's discord and, and difficulty in our relationships with, with each other, right? All of us, maybe this morning, all of us this week are experiencing the consequences of the vandalism of shalom, right? All of us are. And that's what we learn in the Bible is that we're all sinners by nature and choice. And that sin separates us from God. And Romans 3, 22 through 25 says this, there is no distinction the cross levels the playing field. We're all in the same camp together. All of us have sinned, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. But listen, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption, redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who, who God put uh, forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And, and this is what I want to say, is that God's nature necessitates that he punish sin. And God takes our sin very, 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 very seriously. Way more seriously than we do. And that's our problem, is we don't know who God is. This is what J.I. Packer says. So far from the manifestation of God's wrath and punishing sins being morally doubtful. He's saying that's not morally doubtful, God punishing sins. The thing that would be morally doubtful would be for God not to show his wrath in this way. God is not just. That is, he does not act in the way that is right. He does not do what is proper to a judge unless he inflicts upon all sin and wrongdoing the penalty it deserves. And I love this last side. Indeed, if he allows sinners to continue unpunished, does he not himself come short of perfection in his office as judge of the world? He is the just judge of the world. He can't just sweep it under the rug. Justice has to be served. That's not just. God would stop being God if he did not enact justice upon, upon just, right justice, judgment upon our sins and our wickedness. So how does, and by the way, we all, like, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know that there's always a knee-jerk reaction to saying, oh man, how could God judge sins, right? But I know, I know all, not, maybe not all of you, I'm not going to call you jokers. So I, I know that a lot of us here on social media, we think we have every right to judge whoever, whenever, all the time. That's all social media is. It's a courtroom, and you're the judge, and you're dishing out punishments. And there's people on social media literally trying to ruin other people's lives. They never met, they, they'll never meet, they know nothing about, but that, they say, that person's sin, he needs to be punished, and I'm going to fire away on my keyboard and let him know my, I'm going to uh, let him know my sentence. Like, you're, like your opinion matters. You're in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. The cross levels of the playing field. It's madness. And then the very same people that do that, and I'm sure we've all been guilty of that, we get mad when the Bible says, hey, hey, by the way, the only one who has the right to do that is, is, is going to do that to your sin. But, but you think you have a right, but God, but God doesn't? It's madness. It's laughable. It's, it truly is laughable. 
because we don't know who God is. So Romans 6, 23 says this, for the wages of our sin, the consequence of our sin is death. But, there's always a but in scripture, I love this, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's on the table for us today if you've never come to know Jesus Christ. Free gift, eternal life, God's love poured out, his grace poured out on you forever. That's the free gift of salvation. But this punishment, this curse of sin leads to both a physical and a spiritual death. And that spiritual death, listen, is eternal separation from God and his goodness. God's punishment fits the crime in a way. I believe hell is simply the place reserved for those who want nothing to do with God. So if, if, if you want nothing to do with me, then, 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 then your will be done, not my will be done. That's the way C.S. Lewis describes it in his quote. He says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. And so I had an experience three weeks ago. I was at a conference, and uh, long story short, there was an encounter with a demonic. Never seen this in my life, but somebody I know, um, who I know is not crazy, all of a sudden multiple demons started manifesting. Like, like what I mean by that is headbutting the floor, cursing the name of Jesus, every, everything you see in, in, in the movies. It's cra- I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. And I didn't even want to share this last night. I was praying. Couldn't get a lot of sleep last night, so I was worshiping and praying. And I, and I was going to take this out. But then all of a sudden, I, f- I felt the Holy Spirit say, Nick, you tell them the truth, bro. Don't you hold back. You speak the truth. And you speak the truth till you die. And so the, I'm an eyewitness to what I, to what I saw and heard. And, and as the staff there is doing their thing, praying over this, this individual, this thing's manifest, fully manifested now. And they commission this thing to judgment. You no longer have any authority, no right. Go now to the pit to face judgment. By the way, we learned that in 2 Peter 1, that, the, that hell is a place of judgment for the demonic. And so that's totally in line with scripture. And then you can read the healing of the, uh, the uh, demoniac to, to verify what, what I encountered. Uh, and, and, and this is what happened next. When, when, when that demon got that judgment sentence over it. I kid you not, this is almost verbatim of the words that came out of its mouth. Please, 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 no, 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 not the pit, not the pit, not the pit. That's what I heard, church. That's what I heard. And we see, the, we see the demonic coming to Jesus and begging, begging, right? And by the way, that's the authority the sons and daughters have over the demonic, right? They're, they're terrified of us. You know that, right? They're just little punks, they are. They are terrified. That's what was so wild to me. And so the reason I share that is this. That was one of the most staggering moments of my life because I always knew hell exists, but I never knew hell exists. I always knew the demonic exists. I never knew the demonic exists. And what I, what I saw there was that the staggering moment in my life where I realized, oh my gosh, even demons don't want to go there. Does that, does that, not, does that stagger you a little bit? That cause you to think a little bit? Cause you to weep a little bit for all the opportunities you've missed to go share the good news of Jesus Christ? And so church, the Lord dipped me in kerosene and set me on fire. I've been sharing my faith uh, by his grace and in his power. I'll be jogging. I'll see God at a bus stop and I'll just go up to him. Hey man, I, how's your day going? Can I, can I pray for you? No? All right. I'm going to grab you. i just grab by both shoulders and say, hey man, God loves you, brother. He sent his son to die for you. And I just want you to know that good news. I was like, awesome. I was like, be blessed. You know? Praying for a guy, invite him in shop. Lord gives me a word of knowledge, shoulder. Say, hey man, I, when I walked in here, I sensed, I sensed uh, uh, pain in your shoulder. Is there anything to that? And he said, yeah, man, my left shoulder's been giving me all this problem. Dude, can you, can you lean over the counter? It's a big counter. This dude's, dude's a meathead because only people that work at vitamin shop, a bunch of meat. Anyways, not, he, was, he was well built, all right? So he's like, you know, Jack. So he reaches his, his arm around, and I'm praying over him, man. And then, and then a single mom uh, sharing my faith. Some guy singing, leaning out the window singing a song to my wife as we're holding hands on a date night, singing songs to my wife. And I'm like, all right, I know exactly what I'm going to say. Once he stops, he's stuck for like 10, just stuck in traffic. And we're like going opposite of traffic. You know what I'm saying? And I go, the second he's done singing, I got a big smile. I go, Jesus loves you, bro. God loves you. (laughs) Boom, he's gone. Um, So anyways, the reason I share that, man, is is church, do, 
do we realize there's a battle going on? Do you realize that if you're here today and you're a Christian, you've been enlisted into a war? We're not at a time of peace. A battle is raging. And what the enemy wants to do, misery loves company. They, they know their end, and so they got their claws in us, and they're trying to make us as miserable as possible, and they're trying to drag us into hell with them. That's, that's, the, enemy, that's the enemy's goal. Are we, are we awakened to this? Do, have, we, have we read this book? A third, a third of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are dedicated to Jesus encountering the demonic. Okay? So come at me if you want with me sharing that, but it's, it's in God's word. Hell exists. Separation from God for all of eternity. The demonic doesn't want to go there. If that doesn't fire us up to go and, and not even give a rip about being weird, not give a rip about that anymore. But we're crying, man. We're crying out for our friends. We're crying out for our family members. We're crying out for our neighbor in love. And we say, Lord, Lord, send me to the harvest. The harvest is ripe, right? Send me. If nobody will go, Lord, send me. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you do that, man? Would you fire up your church? This news is too important. Man, this news is too important for us to keep to ourselves. And so that's the really bad news, church. The really bad news of the gospel is we've all fired our arrows at God, trying to put him to death, the very, trying to put to death the very one who gave us life. And what that makes us as traitors, as rebels, aligned with the same end goal as the enemy himself. And so option one is, and we encounter this, is we go to battle ourselves and we try to make it right. You tracking with me? Like we go and we try to, try to muster up the strength. And that's, that's attempting the impossible. Scripture clearly makes clear that that, that is, that is that's outside of our even job. We can't even do that. We can't make this right. Option two is this, is somebody else goes to battle for me. That's option two. And that's what the incarnation is. The incarnation of Jesus, the defined descending from his throne, the incarnation is representation. Do you realize that? Jesus Christ is our representative. Humanity is representative. He descends and he wears our jersey and he plays our game to perfection. And he pays our penalty of sin on the cross. So we could be spared that penalty and then in, in exchange be given his perfect record on our account, our sins forgiven, declared righteous, reconciled to God forever. That's the incarnation. And that's Jesus Christ crucified. That's the gospel, the good news of the gospel. On the cross, he absorbed the full, just, ferocious wrath of God against our sins, experiencing the horrific forsakenness of the Father crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, church? That was our forsakenness that he bore upon himself. That was our forsakenness that he bore because he loves you. And because he doesn't want you to have to bear that forsakenness. He wants you to have fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Father. And so the gospel is this, is that the judge of the earth is on his bench up here. He's looking down and he, you're, in the, you're in his courtroom and, and, and he, he has to speak truth. He has to speak truth. And he looks down and he says, he says, Here's your rap sheet. Here's your rap sheet. Convicted felon, and here's the punishment. There's your electrical chair. And that judge, just speaking truth, a just judge, he steps off his throne. He takes off his, his, his robes of righteousness, if you will, and he says, hey, give me your orange jumpsuit. Hey, give me those handcuffs. Hey, hey, let me pay this for you. And so he, he takes that on and he marches straight to your electrical chair and takes the punishment you deserve. And then in return, you get his righteous robes. That's the gospel. That's the incarnation, his representation, is Jesus taking our hit for us so that we could be spared and experience abundant, eternal, everlasting life with God. It's a great exchange, a great reversal for all of eternity. Forever, church. Do we understand this? We're no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer condemned sinners, forever haunted by our sin and death. We're forgiven, we're cleansed, we're redeemed, we're rescued sons and daughters of God, co-heirs with Jesus, with heaven as our eternal destiny now with him forever. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Man, if you haven't received that today, would you open up your hands? Would you receive that by faith today? When the world would hold you back. There's no better news on the planet. I don't care who wins the World Series. There is no better news on the planet than that. And that changes everything, not just our destiny. It changes everything right here and now. And God wants to break in to your heart right now. If you would just open up your hands and open up your heart. Mark my words. Mark my words. I've seen what he's capable of doing. So this is great. This is glorious news that the gospel is not mere sentimentalism. Oh, Jesus is nice and he did good things. Jesus came on a rescue mission for us. That's the gospel. Third reminder, Corinthians, Jesus fought your battle for you and came out victorious. 
the resurrection. Four, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of, the God, what Paul, church of God. What Paul's saying here is Jesus died and was buried in the tomb. Historical fact. Historical fact. He calls 500 plus eyewitnesses to the table of this resurrection. He says, Jesus died and was buried in the tomb, and therefore it appeared that Jesus had lost the battle and that death had won. Because death always gets the final say. You realize that, right? Like death always gets the victory. Death always gets the final verdict in your life. Death always wins. And so it appeared Friday, Saturday, into the wee hours on Sunday, maybe, that death had won. But then Paul says this. This is the gospel. He says, Corinthians, Jesus didn't stay put. There's an empty tomb. Jesus rose again. He rose again. He rises out of the tomb in victory, forever declaring that sin and death never get the final say, the final verdict in our life. Jesus does. Jesus gets the final say in our lives. And look at what Jesus does after he rises. I'm not going to spend too much time on the resurrection. Jeff's preaching that uh, a couple, uh, couple sermons from now because we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm super jazzed about that. After Jesus rises, what does he do? He goes and preaches the gospel. That's what he does. There's news to deliver from the battlefield, and Jesus is the first one to go preach the gospel, and look who he preaches to, church. He goes to Peter, who denied him three times. And he goes to Peter, and he says, listen, Peter, your denial of me never will get the final say in your life anymore. Come back with the head of your enemies. Listen, we've triumphed, Peter. We've triumphed. Twelve apostles, you abandoned me at the height of the battle. You all, you all scattered. You abandoned me. But your abandonment of me doesn't get the final say in, in, in your life anymore. I get the final say. We've triumphed. We've triumphed, apostles. And he appeared to his brother, James. James thought Jesus was crazy. And he goes to James and he says, James, your doubts, all of your doubts, all of your confusion about who your brother is, it doesn't get the final say. I get the final say. We've triumphed. Your sin doesn't get the final say. Death doesn't get the final say. I get the final say. Peter, James, and then he goes to Paul, a murderer of Christians. And he says, listen, Paul, you had your arrow. Man, you were firing away with that, with that arrow. But I, I'm someone who loves his enemies. Jesus Christ said in Romans 5, 8, while you were still sinners, Aiming your bow at me, flying, flinging your arrows. I died for you. And so it's Paul, you were an enemy to me, literally. And you were killing my people. But listen, your hatred of me doesn't get the final say. Your sin doesn't get the final say. We've triumphed, Paul. We've triumphed. Changed his life. Knocked him off his horse. Changed the world. Paul was a madman for the gospel. And appeared to 500 others. And Paul's writing to the Corinthians saying, hey, if you doubt the resurrection, if you doubt the bodily resurrection, as we'll see in 1 Corinthians 12 next week, he says, there's 500 other people who are still living. Go check your stats. This is history. Eyewitnesses. And, and by the way, all these people that Jesus appeared to, who I just named, I don't know about the 500, but they all gave their life for Christ. And so with the resurrection, man, what the resurrection is, what Jesus does, is he brings, he brings Genesis 1 and 2 full circle. He, it's a restoration. The resurrection is a restoration of the shalom. That's what it is. A fully glorified, resurrected body. He's restoring that which sin distorted, right? And he's peeling, he, he, he tears the veil through his death, and, he, and the kingdom of God breaks in, and we, we get, a, we get a, a preview, a trailer, the first fruits of what is to come for those who are in Christ Jesus, this bodily resurrection, the hope of glory. That's what the resurrection is, man. It's a full restoration of the shalom. And 1 John 4, 14 through 16 says this, and we have seen and testified, this is John writing, eyewitnesses, that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. You see that word abide? Where do we see that? Genesis 1 and 2. God abides in him and he in God. 
So we have come to know, listen, may this be true of us today, church. May this be true of us today. If you're here today and you don't know this, it may be true of you today. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see that today. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace, we have shalom with God, the, the restoration of shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's best news in the world. Fourth reminder, Corinthians, it's almost a warning. We'll slowly wrap up with this. Don't receive the news of this great victory in vain. That's an option for us today, uh, 10 through 11. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, I love this. And and this was my prayer for us this morning. So we preach, and you believed. So we preach, and you believe. Mm. And for what that means there in vain is being without purpose, being without result. And Paul is saying this. Paul, this is what Paul is saying. God's grace towards me in Christ Jesus, the giving of his son who was crushed and pierced for my iniquities. God's grace to me, Christ Jesus dying for my sins. God's grace, his undeserved kindness in my life was not without result in my life. Paul is, uh, this is what he's saying. Listen, God's unthinkable, God's radical, God's loving pursuit of me was returned with an equally unthinkable, radical, loving pursuit of him and making him known. That's a proper response to this gospel. Because the truth of this good news, Transit Church, if you don't hear anything I say, the truth of God's word, the good news of Jesus Christ, is God is not indifferent and apathetic towards you. God is ferocious for you. He came running for you. He's after you. Right now, where you're sitting, he's after you. That's what this gospel screams of, is Jesus Christ, our rescuer, on a rescue mission for us. Marching to the cross to bear our iniquities. Jesus wants you to know God so much, he died so that you could. Reconcile to the Father, and Jesus wants to call you home today. He wants to call you home today. And so I will... Um, Trying to think if I mix up my conclusion here, sorry. By the way, that rain is pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah, I'll share it. Um, I had a dream two years ago. And what led up to that dream was me praying, God, you've called me to preach this gospel. I know this gospel, but you're God. Was there really a, a great pain of searing loss? You're God. Right? That's, that was my prayer. I said, God, if you're going to commission me and call me to preach this gospel, would you make that real to me? Would you move it from here? Like, I, I studied this for a long time in seminary. Would you move it to here? Let me feel it. You got to be careful what you pray for, right? So there was, there was one Saturday in November two years ago where uh, I, couldn't, I was preaching the next day. I couldn't go to bed. So I'm reading this book called Chasing the Dragon where all these people are getting dreams. This missionary goes, uh, and, and it's awesome. And, I, and I'm like, man, you have not because you asked not. God, I want a dream. Would you give me a dream like, like I see in the books? And uh, the second I asked for that, I got this sense, this overwhelming sense from God. Hey, Nick, you got to be, got to be careful. This one could, this one could hurt. Like this sense of like, hey, like you're asking for a massive wave to come, and it's going to rock your world. And so I didn't have a dream that night. I had a vision from God, a vision from God. And, and and the way this plays out is all of a sudden I'm at this massive stadium like pool party, right? Ton of people everywhere. And they're in the pool, they're all doing their own thing. And I, and I have this sense in the dream that this represented humanity. But I'm there, I'm like, wow, this is, wow, okay, cool. Like, and, and then I see two of my friends there. Two of my friends, I know these people, I see them. And, and they fly out like, see me, but don't want to be associated with me. And so they see me and kind of nod and then kind of like, hey, like, I don't want to be, you see it. I'm like, those are, my, those are my friends, those are my boys, right? And then I see someone in the dream, this is someone who I don't see that often, but when I do, man, it's like, it's fine, like we connect, and it's awesome, he's like, we're super excited to see each other, and then he, gives, he finally gives me the time of day. Everyone else is ignoring me, my friends are going the other way, and this guy actually gives me the time of day, but I know that the whole time we're talking, you guys have their sense with, you know, someone has a conversation with you, the whole time I'm talking to him in the dream, he's nodding, and all of a sudden, but he's just counting down the minutes for the conversation to end. He just can't wait 
to stop talking to me, right? Kind of like how I often spend my quiet time. Did you catch my drift? Church? What God was unveiling to me there, I think, was, was my heart and maybe humanity's posture. Of like, I'm not after your quiet times. You see, you see what your friend who you have so much delight in, like God delights in us, God, God wants to, to just to, to the delight he has in us to be responded back with delight. Do you see your friend's response to me? That's often how your quiet times look, just checking me off the list, like getting this done, so on and, and, and so forth. And so, and so, man, I was hurt. I was like, I was thinking in my dream, I was like, I need to get some new friends, man. It's messed up. These people are jerks. And, and then all of a sudden, the dream segues to my daughter. I had one daughter at the time, Kelsey. Uh, and all of a sudden, earlier on in the dream, she was there. She was in human form. And this time in the dream, all of a sudden, she is in cricket form. Super weird, right? I was, I was wondering the same thing. And all of a sudden, she, she leaves, like, kind of leaves a platform and goes down, just hops down these stairs. And I knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, in this vision the Lord gave me, this dream the Lord gave me, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that, uh, that, uh, that, that this was my daughter. This was Kelsey. Fully cricket, fully Kelsey. You tracking with me? And, and, and she was so fragile, right? She was fragile. And, and my father's heart was saying, oh, careful, you know, careful down the stairs. Like, and, and then what, and what, what blew my mind is crickets always jump all over the place, right? But what I saw was this little tiny cricket who, man, my heart was just welling up in love for her, going, what is happening right now? Why is she, what is, and I'm trying to communicate to her, you know, trying to have that relationship because I love my daughter. And she marches, she, she hops straight. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm going, where's she going? And I see where she's going. And, and it's all of a sudden, it's super dark, and it's not a spider's web. It's like this spider's like, like, like nest, if you will. She marches, she marches, she marches. And then, boom, flat out disappears on me into darkness. And I lost my mind in the dream. Because in that moment, I lost my daughter, my precious, my only daughter. And so I, I jump, and I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm clawing, I'm clawing, I'm clawing, and I keep repeating, I'm saying, I've lost her, I've lost her, I've lost her, I've lost her, crying in the, in the dream, like full-on shadow of a doubt that Nick Mudger lost his daughter. There's a vision from God. I lost my daughter, and I, and I sense that in my soul. Like, no, like, sentimental, like, it happened. And out of nowhere, man, Oh, I get a hand on my right, my right leg. I look back. It's Kelsey in fully human form. She's no longer a cricket in a glorified body, if you will, right? And then I scoop her up in my arms and I, and I throw her back on my, you know, whatever. My, and, and, I'm, and I go from sheer panic to sheer adulation of being reconciled to my daughter. And I wake up from this vision at 4 a.m. a morning before I have to preach. And I have never cried so violently in my life. I literally thought the neighbors were going to call the cops. Like, no joke. Like, screaming in agony. Jen's freaking out. She has no idea what happens. And I was saying, I lost her. I lost her. I lost her. But she came back. But she came back. She came back. And immediately what came up with the Lord brought up to me. And by the way, I think I went into mild shock. That's how powerful this was. I was shaking for over an hour. Literally shaking. And, and I, I, I lost and I had to run to the bathroom. Like, that's how, that's how, like, you know, like, how powerful this experience was, was, was it, it rocked my world. And, and this is what, this is what uh, came to the forefront of my mind as I was crying for hours. How great the pain of searing loss. How great the pain of searing loss. This was no small thing, church. This was no small thing that the Lord did on our behalf. No small thing. And he did it out of love for you. Because without him intervening, without him pursuing us, without him chasing us down, we're stuck in our sins. We're stuck. But it doesn't have to be that way this morning. It doesn't have to be that way this morning. And so my challenge this morning would just be this question is, man, how are we going to respond to this good news of who God is and what he's done for us? It's undeserved, right? How are we going to respond this morning? Are we going to be found grateful? Because listen, church, this God, I know this God. I know him. I know him. He's rocked my world three weeks ago, and he's rocking it today. Listen, he's too good to be ignored, and this news is, is, is too good to be ignored. And so I'm going to give us a minute. Quiet your hearts before him, and then I'll pray. But we respond in faith. See, all of this is like a, it's like a gift, right? That's what salvation is, is a gift, where you just have to open up your hand and receive it. And if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, to be Lord of your life, would you do that now for the first time? And mark my words, it'll be the best decision 
that you've ever made because Jesus chose you first and you just get to respond to that in love because he's chasing you down. And so let's quiet our hearts before him and respond in faith today. And then I'll close this in prayer. Holy Spirit, send your cleansing rain this morning, Lord Jesus. Like the rain that you sent, that's, that's pitter-pattering on the ceiling, Lord Jesus, the roof of this building. I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, for a fresh cleansing, fresh forgiveness, that Jesus Christ, that, that your saints, your sons and daughters wouldn't listen to the lies of the enemy anymore. He's always bringing up their record. He's always bringing up their past mistakes. Would your sons and daughters know that they're cleansed, they're forgiven, they're justified, they're fully reconciled to you. They stand in your grace this morning. Holy Spirit, apply the work of redemption to those that don't know you this morning, don't know your love, don't know your heart for us, Lord. And we're just so grateful that even in the, even in the midst of our indifference towards you, even in the midst of our apathy towards you, that you don't respond likewise. In the midst of that, you still go to the cross for us. In the midst of that, you still, you still chase us down and pursue us, Lord. And so we come before you with our hands open and we say, have your way, Lord Jesus, in my life. I repent of everything in my life that's opposed to you now. There is no area of my heart, there is no secret that you do not have access to in my life, Jesus. It's all yours. Come claim your heart as yours. Come reign victorious over my heart this morning. There is no area in my life that's not yours. That's what repentance looks like. And then we cry out in faith. We say, thank you, God. We say yes and amen to this good news of victory. That I no longer am a slave to sin. I no longer am a slave to fear. I'm a child of the living God, a co-heir with Christ, with heaven as my home. And that's the best news in the world. May we never forget that. Holy Spirit, may it help us never to forget that. May we cling to that. May we hold fast to that. Because when we do, your name is lifted high. Your name is magnified, Jesus. Your name is glorified. And so that's what we're about here. And so we pray, Lord, that we take, you would take your glory this morning with our lives and with our minds and with our hearts. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.